Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. Maybe I know a little bit more, at least temporarily I knew a little bit more for the last couple of weeks how it feels to be free because I was up in Maine. We played um, some repeat shows the last couple of Fridays <coughs> back live here today. Um, got back about a week ago, about a week ago, and it seems like I've never, that I never went to Maine. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back here now, back in the middle of uh, of it all. But it was very restful up there. It's the opposite of Manhattan. The actually, you, you know, it took a what is it? Learning math, the 180 degrees, right? The opposite of Manhattan. It's quiet where I was. Uh, 
a town on Midcoast, Maine. So it's partially, you know, with woods coming right down, the, the forest and the trees coming almost right down to where uh, the uh, the bays and the oceans are, the ocean is. Um, <clears throat> so green everywhere, you know. Uh, uh, it's not a big town, not a little town. And it's um, quiet, not a lot of people. It's uh, green everywhere, green trees uh, everywhere, green grass, green fields. Uh, it's absent, the uh, completely driven, barely subdued frenzy and grasping that I encounter in the city all of, all the time and that I've gotten, you know, around my throat here the, like a week I've been back. And I, I count among the graspers myself, you know, but my grasping... My grasping qualities are less when I'm up there. Um, it just takes my five senses and just turns them all down a few notches. You know, there's something about the city, uh, and I can't, you know, I can't, when I say New York City, I've mentioned this before, I'm not talking about Queens <clears throat> and the Bronx and um, Brooklyn, Staten Island. I'm talking about Manhattan, which is where I live, and certain parts of Manhattan where I spend most of my time, which are, in fact, uh, generally the busiest parts of Manhattan. And, uh, and what it does is uh, being in the city, the assault on your five senses basically potentiates, like that word, potentiates the, um, the quality of grasping that everybody has sort of naturally anyhow. And then I know I have uh, so badly that uh, it's hard for me to calm down. But um, it's you know you want you want to avoid everything because it's too hard to take, and you want to get something that you really need. Avoid, get, avoid, get, avoid, get. Nothing, nothing in between. <laughs> nothing in between. Which is why a lot of people in the city meditate. I meditate. It's hard for me because my mind is uh, always being assaulted from inside and out. But I uh, I think it helps. <clears throat> but when you go up there. You walk around, you see the blue sky, and you see blue water, and you hear the wind in the trees. That's really more or less what you hear. Occasionally a car or a truck will come along, you hear the tires on the road. And um, you're walking around in town, even during tourist season, you don't hear that many people. And if you see them, they don't all have their face stuck in, um, in the phone. Uh, maybe it's just because naturally when they look up and look around... Uh, the openness and the quiet and uh, what pr- what meets their eyes, the colors, you know, or never, there's, there's not a lot of, there's no signs up there in town jumping and flashing everywhere. Uh, people aren't leaning on their horns. They aren't, there aren't, uh, there's a construction going on every two feet. So you don't hear a lot of drills and a lot of gigantic machinery pounding on things. So really, you don't have to be stuck inside the world of your phone. You can actually look around and connect with the world there. And even with the occasional person, people pass by on the street, they say good morning. (laughs) Uh, But that's the nature of a crowded place, right? New York City is uh, an an insanely crowded place. Uh, But up there you feel um, that calm that only comes when you're in nature and not buried under... A billion tons of brick and steel. You know, that's how it goes. And every time we go up there, I've mentioned this before, you know, 
my wife and I get closer to making up our minds to leave the city. The current plan, based on various financial and health reasons, health care reasons really, is to stay in New York for around a year, then retire up in Maine. That's the current plan. In about 11 months, uh, <clears throat> the only thing that remains, as I've mentioned before, is I've never been up there in the winter, and I guess I would actually, maybe this winter, or hopefully this winter, uh, I'm going to have to go up there and see what it's like. I've been going up to Maine for 25 years in the summers, and I don't know what it's like in the winter. Um, I, uh, I see and hear from people who send me photographs and write me emails who live up there that they have uh, frequent um, snowfalls and sometimes blizzards and feet of snow, and it remains on the ground a long time, and it's really cold, and it can get dark earlier in the winter than any other place in the country. This is not something I would look forward to, but uh, somebody else told me that uh, there are as many days of sunshine in the winter in Maine as there are in New York. So I think, really, we should go up there for a week this coming winter and see what it's like. And then we would know for sure. <clears throat> then the idea is to retire up there. It would be just easier for me to survive, and for my wife, too. She's no big fan of Manhattan, either. But she doesn't uh, get bombarded by it the way I do. <clears throat> anyway, when I was up in Maine, I avoided any Internet news, which also helps not to be uh, overstimulated, right? I just went online uh, for a few minutes each day to check my email. Of course, if you have the habit of reading the daily newspaper, you obviously can't avoid Trump's egocentricity or his ignorance and destructiveness. You can't avoid it. And I could just not look at the paper. But I guess I'm too used to knowing what's going on in the world. It's like an addiction. And like a lot of other people, I, I do have, I have to confess, I have a morbid fascination, even as awful as it is, for uh, Trump's behavior, for his words and his behavior. I should try to break myself of it. It's worse than an opioid addiction. And I know I've been addicted to opioids. At least then, when you were actually taking uh, opioids, um, you felt cool. You felt calm. You felt ecstatic. <laughs> With this guy, you're in a permanent state of outrage. I'm presuming uh, that you're like me and you are outraged by everything he says and does. Uh, and I can only think that maybe uh, I also have, which some other people may have too. Maybe it seems familiar to you. And I, I mean, obviously, I can't stop uh, paying attention to it. He's the president. And everything he says and does affects everything in my life. And... Um, it's on every headline. There are times when every single headline in the entire paper on the front page is about him or something he did or something who somebody who works for him did. Also, I, I probably have an unfortunate sense of uh, <clears throat> of outrage. You know, this is part of the, this is all connected. Everything's connected to the grasping, right? I have this I have this par permanent sense which I'd like to dump off. You know, I'd like to I'd like to just dump off the side of this ship, just get rid of it, toss it overboard. I have a sense of outrage all the time that has to be fed all the time, right? It has to be fed daily. Uh, has to, as the Rolling Stones used to put it, um, I have to get my fair share of abuse. So uh, while I was up there is when he met with Putin in Helsinki and then, of course, all the aftermath of that stuff. Um, and, you know, of course, by now we probably shouldn't be shocked or outraged or astonished by this man's words or behavior. Um, maybe you're not. 
But I still am. Uh, maybe it's because I grew up in a time when such talk and behavior were almost unimaginable, at least coming from the president or a president, and no matter how rough or vile they were in private. And, and according to Robert Cairo, uh, and wrote that massive biography of Lyndon Johnson, which I read, which is terrific. Um, I forget what the name of it is. It's, it's like uh, four volumes, is it? Three or four volumes? <clears throat> it's massive and it's, um, it's astounding. Terrific biography. According to Robert Caro, or is it Caro, um, Lyndon Johnson was sadistic, or could be, was often sadistic. He was foul-mouthed. He was serially unfaithful to his wife, like Trump. <clears throat> he was a scheming bastard and a terrible bully. Lyndon Johnson was these things. And, uh, but at the same time, he was also intelligent. He was well-informed, and he was skilled in talking with, um, with other people who we had to make deals with and bargains with. He was not um, paranoid, and he was not an idiot. And I mean, what do I mean by idiot? I mean aggressively uninformed. Trump is not a stupid person, but he's aggressively uninformed, and he's uh, disturbed. Oh, well, but that, you know, all this stuff about, uh, I'm not just talking about back in the day here, about how presidents were a certain way. <clears throat> in fact, right up until Trump came on the scene, uh, such mindless, destructive behavior and statements uh, were still considered to be something you would never hear or see from the president of the United States. Um, even George Bush at his worst. You know, he could be a slimy, ignorant little bastard sometimes. But he was never anything in the same league as this guy. Uh, you know, and just for a moment here, just for a moment, picture Trump in your mind talking and then picture Obama in your mind talking. And there you go. <laughs> I mean, really, you know. Uh, <clears throat> and of course, I have my little uh, my uh, IV of throat coat tea. But that doesn't help, right? Throat coat tea has to go in my throat. Uh, maybe my IV of opioids, which I haven't had in a couple of years, <clears throat> unfortunately. I would probably, when I was taking them, I didn't take them all day long every day. <clears throat> but I did take them once a day, usually in the evenings. And... Um, Almost like people take a drink. So was I addicted to them? I suppose I was. Certainly I was psychologically addicted to them. Uh, and made my life somewhat easier. Um, anyhow, so there's Trump up. And, you know, I'm in Maine in this beautiful place. And still, you know, I'm picking up the New York Times, which is for sale in the local supermarket there. Um, the New England version of the New York Times, which isn't much different. Uh, just didn't have as much local New York news. Um <clears throat> And, you know, while I'm up there, Putin is doing, uh, Trump is doing this insane sort of treasonous thing with Putin. And everybody uh, is, as you know, since you are doing this yourself or we're doing it, here I am talking about old news. But it's not old news. This thing he did in Russia is still reverberating everywhere. And it's part of uh, Mueller's, and I'll never be able to say that guy's name. Is it Mueller? Mueller's name is, you know, um, it's part of his investigation. They're investigating this guy Cohn separately, but he's connected to it. And then there's Trump's possible obstruction of justice, which in some cases has to do with things to do with the Russian um, 
um, interference in our election. Um, and everybody is groping to explain how Trump could act the way he did up there. How could he say the things he said? Now, one thing <clears throat> he has obviously got is a fatal attraction to strong men, to dictators. It's clearly a deep psychological problem. I mean, Trump fears and hates weakness in anybody, most of all himself. And I know, I know about this kind of psychological disturbance. I have some of this myself. I don't like being old as I am and weak as I am these days. I don't like being around old, weak people. Uh, I have a certain kind of unfortunate um, disdain for them. And, uh, you know, I'm more interested in being around people who are younger and stronger. Is this a natural phenomenon for the old? I don't think it is. I think if you suspect or know that you have a streak, a serious streak of weakness in yourself, you don't want to be associated with anybody weak. It makes you feel uh, even weaker. Uh, <clears throat> and this wanting to be around strong people and despising weak people is the defining hallmark of an authoritarian personality. Uh, Trump <clears throat> revels in attacking people who can't fight back. And he kisses the ass of anybody who is stronger than he is. He is really the eternal bully, uh, which is all the reason why it's everything his wife Melania does um, is such a, such a sad, pathetic joke. She has a campaign, apparently, against bullying. Is anything, if, if, <laughs> if you saw that on a TV show, uh, you would say that's pretty funny, right? What a joke. Uh, here he is, the biggest, one of the biggest bullies that ever lived, one of the biggest bullies in the world, and she, his wife, is trying to campaign against bullying. Is she trying to tell us something? Um, <clears throat> how could she be campaigning against bullying when she is uh, living with and married to the worst bully in the entire country? Doesn't that strike her as a little odd? But uh, everything she does seems odd to me and disjointed and... Uh, I wonder what day she's just going to like pack up and just leave this the White House, but she'll probably never do it. She may have had some contract with him. You know, you cannot leave me. Uh, you cannot embarrass me or leave the White House if I become president, blah, 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 blah. And uh, <clears throat> I guarantee you $250 million. <clears throat> Anyhow, um, so he is the bully. And there's always been rumors about what uh, Putin has on tr uh, Trump and his family. And when I say his family, I really mean his sons, who currently run the real estate business, all the buildings and the golf courses and the hotels. I mean, what does he have on them? It seems to be, <clears throat> and this may actually get, um, uh, this may come more to the fore uh, uh, just the other day, or I mean, it may have happened a little while back, but we just found out that uh, Mueller, in his investigation of Cohn, um, has subpoenaed to speak to the grand jury, which is aiding him in his deliberations to see who they might indict with, with all these various crimes. Um, they have um, subpoenaed a man, I forget his name now, who was for a long time, up until time Trump was president, uh, the head money man for the Trump organization and prepared Trump's taxes and knows everything about Trump's finances that he has never told anybody that he's lied about. And this gets back to one of the things that Putin may actually have on Trump. Um, it seems to be common knowledge that Trump received approximately $400 million sometime in the last several years in investment funds 
from Russian sources. It's pretty well understood. And it's very likely that the money was channeled through uh, a huge uh, ger- international German bank called Deutsche Bank, which I think was fined by the European Union or has been in trouble over there. But they funneled some pretty shady investments from some of the worst people in the world to some of the other worst people in the world. And uh, <clears throat> who knows where this money originated? This hundreds of millions of dollars was Trump and his, uh, his bizarre children uh, invested or basically bought uh, golf courses, hotels, and uh, other properties. And uh, you don't know where this money comes from. I would love to know whose money this was originally, if we could track it down. Uh, Putin, is it from Putin and his billionaire mobster friends? Probably. Putin is hand in glove. There's no difference between Putin and the Russian mafia. They are the Russian government. The KGB, Putin, and the Russian mafia, especially their international investments and, uh, you know, interfering in various other legitimate enterprises. Um, There's no difference between these places, uh, between these people. And I think this is who gave him the money, which he is not really, it's not legally been accounted for where it came from. And who knows um, how it works out with his tax returns. This guy that they just subpoenaed knows all about these things. So that's interesting, right? So maybe Putin has all this like financial blackmail over Trump. And uh, on the other hand, you know, the money, as far as the money goes, maybe they just wanted a place to launder it like any mobster does. To wash it clean of whatever gangster taint it has. And how... How do Trump and his business account for all this cash? They don't, of course, which is why it's interesting to see what this guy will have to say. Uh, Well, who knows? Or when it comes to, um, and this is what a lot of people think, right? When it comes to uh, what Putin and his pals have on Trump, some people have speculated um, that maybe uh, Trump's uh, good buddy Putin has a video or audio tape or both of Trump with prostitutes um, when he was um, in Moscow in 2013 for the Miss Universe contest. I mean, the Russians um, have a very uh, long and deep spy tradition. And uh, they, like a lot of other places, like the CIA and other spy networks uh, who have been in business for a long time, they uh, take the long view. They pick out somebody who's very vulnerable for one reason or another. And at that point, Trump had already stated a couple of times that he wanted to be president and seemed to be declaring. So maybe they made an assessment and said, one day, um, this guy could have a lot of power. Maybe he could even be the president. Let's, um, and he's vulnerable in a million ways. Let's just get something on him. So people say that there is the famous P tape that he may have uh, been in a room with prostitutes, that it was recorded on audio or visual, or there are prostitutes willing to testify. Of course, you can't believe that. The Russians would have people lie about anything. But there could be a tape. Cohen's got tapes uh, recording um, damaging stuff that he said. Who knows what they what they did? And uh, something about um, prostitutes, Trump, and urination. Would that? But would it make any difference? Look what this man's been accused of already. Look what audio tapes have come out. Look what women have said about him. Um, would it make any difference to the people who voted for him? I don't think it would. Anyhow, this is guy the guy used to be the head of the Miss Universe contest as the president of the United States. I mean, can you... Anyhow, 
I tend to think it's more likely the money that Putin has on him rather than some kind of like unusual sex tape. Um, and, you know, like I said, it would be another betrayal, yet another betrayal of his wife, 2013, because he was married to her and already had the kid. Not that, like I mentioned, that seems to trouble his uh, <clears throat> his rabid reporters, uh, rabid uh, supporters at all. It doesn't, it doesn't trouble them at all. I think what is the most likely explanation of Trump's slavish behavior uh, to Putin, being the great narcissist that he is, and considering that his campaign is being investigated for collusion with the Russians, and that Russians obviously tampered with the 2016 election, I think because of all of this, Trump, who never feels legitimate at all, and that's his whole problem, is going to any lengths to discount you know, to to uh, to negate Russian influence on the election, because if they did alter the results in his favor, that means he didn't really win by himself and that he is basically an empty shell. He's a fraud, which he clearly finds unbearable. Um, you know, and he just he can't accept that. Just can't accept it. <clears throat> Time for a little more. of. Um, Coat tea, but uh, are you? Uh, you know, since I'm since I'm taking my tea break here, are you still astonished? I mean, own up about this. Get in touch with me. I'd be interested to know. I mean, since people don't call up this podcast at least that much or hardly ever, uh, I'd be interested to know what people feel about that. Um, have you managed to successfully break your addiction to news about him? Or to be uh, to break your addiction to being um, irritated, if not outraged, by everything he says and does all the time. Have you been able to do that? If you have, uh, maybe you could send me the secret of doing that because I wouldn't mind. I'd like to just get rid of it all. I mean, I feel like it's not consistent with my responsibilities as a citizen to ignore everything he does, but uh, <clears throat> certainly good for my health. <clears throat> Anyhow, sometimes I wonder. How much the rest of the world considers Trump to be representative of America? Did you ever, did you ever think that? Maybe in countries with uh, little knowledge of what goes on in the USA, maybe they think this man is a typical American and he represents the majority of Americans. Is that a fear you have? Because it's a fear I have to think that. What an awful thought. When Putin speaks or acts a certain way or President Xi of China, I don't assume for a minute that they represent the Russian or the Chinese people. And I'm sure you don't either. And aside from a special interest in uh, history and reading about conditions in those countries, I know, just based on human nature, that most Russians and Chinese don't speak and act the way their dictators do. They don't, they don't do that. This is what dictators do. Uh, Putin and Xi don't represent the majority of their people. But I wonder... In those countries and others like Iran and other places where there is little or no freedom of press and uh, there's censorship of the Internet, do people there see Trump as a typical American? I know the British don't, the Germans don't, uh, but they have freedom of the press, right? Um, but I wonder if they see him as a typical American and, and worse, as speaking for most Americans. Um, like I said, the British and the Germans know better, but uh, they must wonder, just as we all often do, how it came to be that such an ignorant, destructive asshole became the president of the United States. 
I, I have no idea. <clears throat> I'm afraid that there are many places in the world where they think that he represents the majority of all his tariffs and the way he treats migrants and the way he talks about them and their countries, that he, that he really believes this stuff, you know, that, uh, that Americans, I should say, really believe this stuff. And uh, I think about all of this often. I have thought about that. I've had this thought before about what people think of, the, of Americans when, you, when they see how Americans act in the world. And when I see repeatedly over the years, even over decades, America uh, murdering innocent people all over the world. And what did, for instance, what did, what do the Vietnamese think of Americans when for about 15 years in the 60s and 70s, they were, the Vietnamese, locked up by Americans, shot, um, displaced, villages burned down, they were, they were bombed, poisoned, and raped by Americans for uh, a long time. Do they think that all Americans are uh, represented by the soldiers who are over there? Do they? I don't know. What do the Afghans think of us? Uh, I think about this. Um, when I read an article, uh, like one I want to read you uh, here in the New York Times that appeared the other day, a couple of days ago, and this is something you see happening every couple of months for like 15 years now. Uh, here, where is this article? <coughs> One more tea. Uh, here's, the, here's the headline. A family of 14 dies in an airstrike. <coughs> U.S. officials deny they were civilians. Does that seem familiar to you? Does that seem terribly familiar? It does. It does, does it? <clears throat> the, um, the, the, the military denies. This goes all the way back to uh, when we were um, <clears throat> younger and um, fighting the war in Vietnam and protesting. On, not fighting the war in Vietnam. Protesting, to be more accurate. There were other people over there fighting the war in Vietnam. But uh, we were protesting the war in Vietnam and reading the news about Vietnam. And this is where um, my ex-station, WBAI, became somewhat famous. Because they would have something on every single day, separate from the news, right before the news, or was it right after, called the War Report. And they would tell you everything <clears throat> that the government would not tell you about what was going on in Vietnam. How we were really losing and not winning. How we had suffered terrible losses instead of just a few people killed and wounded. And they kept this up <clears throat> until people started to believe it. And until all the bodies in their uh, tens of thousands and the wounded um, started to come home. So um, <clears throat> all, this, uh, all this denying has been gone on forever. The government always denies things. It's hard to believe them, no matter who's in charge. And when, it can, when the military combines with the government and when the military is reporting from a war zone, good luck. Forget about it. Anyhow, here's this article from Afghanistan. <clears throat> Fourteen members of a family, including three small children, were killed in northern Afghanistan when an American airstrike destroyed their home, several Afghan officials confirmed on Monday. In what has become a familiar litany, particularly in Taliban-dominated Kunduz province, Afghan and American officials had initially denied that any civilians had been killed in the strike on Thursday, right? 
claiming the victims were Taliban fighters. They were bad guys. We didn't kill anybody who didn't deserve it. Uh, then 11 bodies belonging to women and children appeared at the hospital in Kunduz City, about four miles from the site of the attack in Chardara district. The Taliban, the, the, the Times needs to point out here, <clears throat> the Taliban do not have women fighters, and the children were very young. Soon after the attack, district officials described the incident as an airstrike that went wrong, in which only civilians were killed. Uh, there were 12 killed and one wounded by American jets in Chardara district, and all the casualties are civilians, said Abdul Karim, the local police chief. Two other children were later counted as dead because they were known to have been in the house, although their remains could not be found in the rubble, residents and relatives said. Now, let me, let me, uh, let me say this. Uh, you don't see the picture of uh, the destroyed building. I can't hold that up in front of the microphone here. I could if it was a different kind of radio, I suppose, or if this was TV. But I can't hold up in front of the microphone for you. But you don't see this destroyed building. You don't see people standing around uh, looking shocked. Uh, let me tell you again what happened here, because we see this so often all over the world from every side, but we see it from our side, our side being responsible, that um, 14 members of a family, including three small children, uh, other children, and women, were killed by American jets in Afghanistan. This happens way too often for many, many years, all the time, that American soldiers, especially the Air Force and the artillery, um, and sometimes missiles, kill innocent people. Probably by now, there are thousands of them that have been killed uh, altogether. Um, <clears throat> a local resident um, um, whose name is Rahim Mullah drove a tractor uh, that, used to, that was used to excavate the bomb house and pull out the bodies. I don't know why they attack civilians, he said. I lost my nephews, Farid and Zanullah. Residents and local officials said 20 people had lived in the house, all members of an extended family. Of the 14 family members killed, eight were women and three children, they said, uh, repeating what somebody had verified before. Uh, two other children from the family were hospitalized with serious wounds, a girl three years old and a boy five years old. Um, three other children escaped from the house when the attack began, and one man the father of a wounded civilian was not home at the time of the attack. Um, and you know what? I'm going to take a little. Um, I'm going to take a little break here from this. Um, why don't you put on my theme again? Uh, see if I can fix my throat up a little bit. I 
wish I could say all the things that I should say. Say I'm loud, say I'm clear for the whole round world to hear. I wish I could share all the love that's in my heart. Remove all the bars that keep us apart. I wish you could know what it means to be me. Then you'd see and agree that every man should be free. Well, let's see. I don't know. Maybe uh, <clears throat> I can't really finish a show today, but I'll try to see what um, if my throat holds out. Um, but it's the same old story with this stuff. Um, you know, we kill people uh, somewhere, uh, and um, we deny it. We deny it. I mean, do you believe what the military says at all anymore? Do you believe a word they say? Do you believe what our government says about military operations? Vietnam was the dead end. Literally, figuratively, it was the dead end of believing a word that the military and the government in combination with the military ever said again. Who could ever possibly trust the American military? Um, And of course, the local Afghan army, you know, uh, who were trained and funded and paid um, uh, even personally by the American military, they deny it too. Uh, Major whoever here. We deny there are any civilian casualties. Foreign troops are our friends and we don't target civilians. What insane bullshit. When the foreign troops decide to attack somewhere, first of all, they check on everything, and then they launch the operation. <laughs> and the major owes his job and his money and whatever bribes and blackmail and opium he's selling to the American military. Um, if there were any civilian casualties, this guy says Major Azizi, the Taliban must have done it. Etc. 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 By late Thursday, however, even the provincial authorities and some of the authorities back in Kabul, uh, the headquarters of bullshit, they began to admit it too. Um, <clears throat> later, the Ministry of Defense circulated a statement acknowledging that civilians had been killed and wounded in the attack. We are really sad about the incident. They said a delegation has been sent to the area that'll help to investigate and find out what happened. Um, Now, uh, on Friday, the United Nations, uh, this past Friday, United Nations in Kabul called the reports credible and said it was investigating. Of course they're credible. The American military, this is the article still, the American military, however, maintained that there had been no civilians at the site. Uh, They keep doing it, right? Uh, Even though the local authorities and all the way up into the Defense Department um, in uh, Kabul 
in Afghanistan said that there were. Uh, you know, and the, the local military, I mean, they should be ashamed of themselves. They should just resign in shame and go home and find some other job to do. And there's always, let's say, the spokesp- spokesperson, Colonel O'Donnell of the American military. Um, <clears throat> anyhow, the event was the third time since 2016 that an American airstrike was blamed for civilian deaths in the Chardara district, an area that had been heavily dominated by the Taliban but also partly borders the provincial capital. On at least six occasions since 2015, American airstrikes in Kunduz have been blamed for civilian deaths. In November, the United Nations confirmed that at least 10 civilians had been killed in airstrikes on a village in Chardara district that month. Uh, The American military, of course, disputed that. In 2016, uh, officials in this same district said an American airstrike had hit a Taliban prison Right? and killed as many as 16 prisoners who were allied with the national government. Uh, Colonel O'Donnell, same guy, same bullshit artist, said that the military's investigation of that episode found no, ready? no evidence of civilian casualties. Is this guy married? Does he have children? I guess he has no trouble going to sleep at night. Maybe he takes opioids. Uh, anyhow, Kunduz, this same area, is also the site of the war's most notorious civilian casualty event, the American bombing of the Doctors Without Borders. Remember this? Doctors Without Borders Hospital in Kunduz in 2015 that killed 42 people. The American military initially defended its actions, and some Afghan officials falsely claimed the Taliban had been fighting from inside the hospital. A few days later, the president, that was Obama, publicly apologize for the attack. Can you imagine Trump apologizing for anything? <clears throat> and um, this wasn't just um, a bunch of jets flying over and dropping bombs uh, by accident then flying away. These were American gunships, helicopter gunships, that hovered over the building when they were told by radio what they were doing was wrong and they were killing people. They may have even heard people screaming in the background of the radio transmissions and they kept doing it. The people who were in this helicopter, helicopter gunship or more than one gunship should have been arrested and charged with murder and locked up for the rest of their lives. But I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, you know, the, you know, now you're saying to yourself, I know what you're saying to yourself because we have the, uh, the special Facebook identity uh, <clears throat> information here and we have uh, Cambridge Analytics and we have Chinese um, voice and face identification, which is all being used. Anytime you listen to my show, I am personally doing this. Not PRN, but I am personally doing this. I can tell you, I know what you're thinking and what you're saying. And I agree with you. The Taliban and ISIS and Al Qaeda, whoever these mad dogs are, are like a cancer on the face of the earth. Just in uh, yesterday's paper, or was it today's? I think it was yesterday's. Uh, ISIS, which still remains in some sections of Syria, killed 200 people. And it doesn't say they killed 200 Syrian fighters or government fighters. It doesn't say they killed uh, this force or that force. They just blew up a lot of people. They blew up people. They blew up whole villages and killed hundreds of people. These people, the Taliban and ISIS, are lunatics. They're mad dogs, like I said. Um, and um, I don't know what to say about that. Um, the pilots, for one, on one side, the pilots in Afghanistan 
and the soldiers and their generals and the politicians, and that includes Obama before with his surge over there, um, who sent them there and maintain them there still, <clears throat> they do not represent me or, for that matter, anybody else I know. No more than all of our forces in Vietnam represented me. They don't represent me. And yet there is, as I mentioned before with ISIS and Taliban, this old inescapable reality. The Taliban and ISIS and what's left of al-Qaeda will spread um, like a rot, like a cancer, if they're not opposed. But here's the, by now, very old question for all of Americans and for the American country, for the USA. Is it really up to the United States to engage in combat all over the world to fight these people? Maybe it is, whether we like it or not. Maybe the way the world has turned is that we are actually, when you join the army now, uh, you become a kind of international cop. It's not a question of just simply defending United States interests or invading on one side or the other. You become a kind of an international cop. The trouble with it is, like the Russians, is that uh, this is done by independent governments, not by a world government. So it doesn't have that kind of legitimacy. So maybe we're in for endless war. Uh, and and being an endless police force, and that's what you join the armed forces for. Maybe it will be that way. Maybe people will finally come to that conclusion, and maybe people will approve of it. I don't know. Um, and think of the situation right now in uh, in Syria, uh, which involves Iraq, Iran, and Turkey. Uh, and this is a, an especially apt case, considering uh, Trump's recent ass kissing of uh, of Putin. Uh, because Putin and his armed forces have enabled Bashad in Syria to murder tens of thousands of Syrians and create millions of uh, refugees. This is uh, Trump's buddy. I mean, and right at the moment, just the other day, to make matters even more insane and uh, more dangerous, the Israelis shot down a Syrian jet built by Russians, and probably the pilots were trained by Russians, that flew over the border of Israel. And and you can imagine what that's going to lead to. You know, I came back from Maine. I have reasons to have come back from Maine, but uh, <laughs> uh, man, I tell you. But the world, you know, up in Maine is still the world. It doesn't stop Trump and Putin and the Syrians and the Israelis and the Palestinians and everybody else from doing everything they do and needing everything they need. It doesn't stop uh, tariffs and farmers and Republicans, and it doesn't stop anything. It's just me being up there. It's a different location from which to view myself and to view the world. Um, You know what? I hope that Trump officially does invite Putin for a visit. And I hope uh, Putin does come to meet with Trump at the White House. And I hope it happens in the last week of October. I want to stand next to one of the worst people. I want Trump. I want Trump to stand right next to one of the worst people on earth, Putin. Stand next to a man who successfully interfered with our national elections, who is the former head of the KGB, who is completely corrupt and who has journalists locked up or murdered and has his agents kill people in other countries and who wants to reestablish the Russian empire with himself as czar and who wants nothing less than the destruction of democracy and of the United States of America. I want Trump, the head of the Republican Party, to stand right next to this man and smile at him and shake his hand only a few days right before the midterm elections. That's what I would love to see. Wouldn't you love to see that? 
let the man come here and stand next to him and let him kiss his ass right before people go to the polls. But you know what? <clears throat> I think Putin is too smart to come to Washington. I'm sure he understands that appearing at the White House with Trump would probably be too much even for a lot of sniveling Republicans and maybe even too much for Trump's cult followers. So probably Trump and the Republicans are going to be safe from this last outrage. But it's too bad because I'd like to see them go down, and this is the best way to do it. And you know what? Just, just finishing up here. Speaking of Trump's followers, uh, there were a couple of recent polls that showed that even after he practically committed treason and with the evil Russians of all people, something like 80% of Trump's followers um, still blindly support him. They turned out in the tens of thousands at his half-assed uh, Munich-style rallies, and they keep turning out. Whatever he says or whatever he does seems to be okay with him. It doesn't matter what he does. Like he said, he could shoot somebody dead in the middle of Fifth Avenue. And he basically shot the country dead in Helsinki, Finland. And uh, there have been studies done that, uh, not that you really need them, that tell you that all these basically white people and a lot of them evangelical Christians, um, um, you know, who this is with a man, Trump, who is the very antithesis of the teachings of Christ. There's studies done that these people are acting this way because they are fast on their way to becoming a minority in the U.S. So you're supposed to feel sorry for them, right? You're supposed to feel sorry for them. Yeah, I understand how that feels bad, I guess. I feel sorry for them. Um, you know, it's not, uh, it's not their um, father and mother's good old boy USA anymore. Blacks, Latinos, Asians, gays, Muslims, and women not putting up with uh, their paternalistic shit anymore. I have no sympathy for these ignorant, bigoted assholes. I'm sorry the country isn't what it used to be that we even elected man, elected a man who wasn't even completely white. Can you imagine we did that? And you know what? I'll tell you the truth, because I always endeavor to be honest, as far, as far short of that as I fall. <laughs> to tell you the truth, I am enough of a good old-fashioned white 1950s American, though I am Jewish, of course, that I also find myself irritated by the presence uh, sometimes of all these foreign and alien, quote-unquote, elements. I just, in my neighborhood, I just take a walk around the block, and mostly what I hear is Spanish and Chinese. And, and I'm saying to myself in my old fart, you know, 1950s way, white, you know, white American way, why can't they just look like and speak like real Americans? So, you know, if I feel this a little bit here and there, I understand all these people out in the Midwest and down south and out west, and in upstate New York and in Maine, where I saw Confederate flags, uh, not an uncommon thing. Can you imagine how idiotic that is? I mean, up in Maine showing a Confederate flag um, and upstate New York or anywhere to show a Confederate flag in the northeastern part of the United States when these people are the very descendants of the northern army that fought in the Civil War. The 20th Maine Regiment, one of the most famous regiments in the history of the Civil War, fought on the Union side at the Battle of Gettysburg and famously turned uh, back uh, the most desperate um, attempt by the uh, the Confederate Army uh, to uh, turn their flank and to and to head straight to Washington and end the war. The Twentieth Maine were heroes, and all these people. These uh, and next to them was a regiment from uh, New York, and next to them Connecticut, and next to them et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you go into the hinterlands in these places, in these very states that contributed these people to fight slavery, 
and fight the South, and you see Confederate flags. How ignorant can people be? And you know what? In the end, I have no, tr- no sympathy, no matter what their feeling of uh, being put upon or that their person is being treated badly by liberals. I, I have no sympathy. I have no sympathy for these people, for these Trump's followers. I mean, um, uh, it offends me that there is no understanding of the words of the Declaration of Independence or what the Civil War was fought for or why we fought the Nazis. I mean, Nazis and Nazi sympathizers in Charlottesville, and the president declares there are probably some good people among them. Um, Give me a break. I mean, Trump, uh, well, you know, in the end, I suppose, there's some commentators that suggested that another powerful motive for all this blind Trump support is just because liberals hate Trump so much. In other words, whatever outrages liberals or whatever these people conceive to be the elite, people who live in cities, people with educations, um, whatever, right? Um, <clears throat> that, uh, that they're just being perverse, you know, just like Trump is being perverse. The more uh, people like me are outraged by Trump's behavior, the more they like it and they get a kick out of it, so they support him and egg him on. And the more they feel like they're being attacked by the whole rest of this crazy, sick country, and they're the real Americans. And uh, the more we say things about them and Trump, uh, the more they're going to dig in. doesn't matter if they think themselves that he's an asshole or that he's a spawn of the devil. They're supposed to be evangelical Christians. Can you imagine? But in the end, you know, I say, who cares what their fears or their motives are? As far as it's still possible, these fools and their political representatives have to be steamrolled at the polls in November. That's what has to happen. But if you try sometimes, well, you might find. 